You're listening to The Rush on News Talk 1010 Toronto. Thanks for joining us. We're kicking off our Smart Speaker series on this Monday afternoon. Joining us now, we have John Moore, host of Moore in the Morning, and Amy Archibald Varley, host of the Gritty Nurse podcast, author of the upcoming book, The Wisdom of Nursing. So great to see you on CB24 promoting the wisdom of nursing, Amy. Thanks for making time for us once again. No problem. Thank you for having me. And John Moore speaking with Bonnie Crombie this morning, making time for us on the afternoon show. Thanks so much, John. Nice to be here. So Bonnie Crombie, officially the leader of the Ontario Liberals, uh, prioritizing health care and also focusing on Mississauga's budget before she takes over the leadership here. Uh, We played a lot of clips from her interview with you this morning. John, are you still thinking about what she discussed? Well, I mean, I'm always interested in somebody who's potentially another premier, and uh, I always find Bonnie interesting to talk with. But I think you also have to factor in that, you know, she has now been elected. She doesn't have a seat in the House. She is the leader of the third party in the House, which doesn't even have official status. And the election doesn't happen until 2026. So the jeopardy of all of this, you know, is is pretty low. Also, the turnout. I mean, there aren't that many liberals in Ontario, or they just assumed that Bonnie Crombie was going to win this leadership. Did you see the voter turnout, Amy? I did. And, you know, I, I'm going to try to be hopeful because I think it's it's important to be hopeful. And I think that, you know, I, um, as someone who's a healthcare worker, again, um, I intricately and along as well as all of my other nursing colleagues, we understand the importance of having a government that listens to folks that are that work in healthcare. So I, I heard what's on her agenda. It's healthcare, education, affordability and housing. Again, yeah, it's still a timeout. But again, it's, it's time to make real relationships. Because I think that's been fractured between, you know, public sector workers like my uh, like myself as a nurse and teachers. And I think uh, I guess our, our friends would call this these money moves. So I'd like to see what her her money moves are in terms of what she's going to put out there. She has uh, some work uh, to do. Um, and, you know, we've heard what she wants, but we need to hear the how as well. Yeah. And it's going to be an interesting runway, isn't it? Because like I said, we got to 2026 uh, before the next election. And I was using a Bobby Flay, if you're a beat Bobby Flay fan analogy this morning, I said, listen, you got to get to Doug Ford. But to get to Doug Ford, you got to get through Marit Stiles. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she has to take the temperature of the population of Ontario and say, anyone here a liberal? Anyone? You know, who's going to put their hand up? I think her biggest challenge right now is making people feel like a liberal in Ontario. What do you think, Amy? I agree. I think that's going to be the biggest piece. I mean, I think there's been a lot of shifting of people moving from one party to another, or even, you know, finding themselves as independent, saying that they, not, no party fits um, how they're feeling. So I think that she's going to, she has her work cut out for her. And I hope within those two years, she could really make people believe or have a sense of, you know, camaraderie within uh, the Liberal Party, because there's a lot of fractures there. So I mean, I mean, she does have her work, and I hope she can get out there and um, make some uh, conversations. Where there was high voter turnout was that by-election in Kitchener Centre, right, John, where voters chose the Greens over all of the Mm -hmm. options they had there. I think that's a symbol as well, a signal for anyone uh, in public office that people are looking for change. Well, I I think everything is about chaos these days that uh, people don't. You were saying, you know, how do you make somebody feel to be a liberal? I don't know that you do. I think people make up their minds 
on a election by election basis about who they want to support. And when it came to that particular election, the NDP burned that riding, right? I mean, you get elected in a general election, then you announce, I don't think I can afford health care, then you're sort of saying you weren't particularly serious in the first place. And so people thought, hey, why not the Greens? We got a federal Green. We've got Mike. Um, let's try this person as well. All right, let us move on to um, the survey about conspiracy theories. <laughs> we, you want to make it political or should we just look at how more people are believing in conspiracy theories? I'm sure as a healthcare official, a front-facing one during the pandemic, too, you probably encounter those people. And John, too, must encounter people who are falling for conspiracy theories. But what do we make of this in that the survey is looking at how many people are believing in things that most of us know are not true? This is a Leger survey uh, that shows that more people are warming up to things that we don't know. Is that, I'm going to offer this to you, a sign that what we have believed is proving to be false? Are people losing faith in the system they were sold, John? And so they're opening up their ideas? No. Um, this is all by design. And when I first got to talk radio in 2003, I was doing the afternoon show and I began work on a book called The Field Guide to the Alternative Conservative Universe. And I know that people are going to react to this. They're going to say, oh, it's conservative. But I'm sorry. The whole idea that began with Rush Limbaugh and all of his, his successors was that the mainstream media could not be trusted. And so you would say something that is false. The mainstream media would say it was false. And then you could say, no, the mainstream media is actually false. And that's where we are from climate change denial to anti-vaxxers to election denial in the United States. Um, there's a whole raft of things that are provably false that people choose to believe in. And then ultimately, as you guys would have seen in this particular survey, what you find is people don't believe the mainstream media and the mainstream media may be caught occasionally with their pants down or getting something wrong. But the idea that everybody gets up every morning with the intention of lying, I mean, aside from Fox News and Alex Jones and Rebel and people like that, most people are trying to get the news right. So I have I've been studying this for 20 years now, and it is beyond worrisome because it's not about believing in the Sasquatch or the Loch Ness Monster. It's about uh, the texts I get every single morning about how, well, you know, young people are dying of heart attacks because the vaccine is killing them. The mainstream media and the medical profession are covering it up. And that's nonsense. OK, so for 20 years, was it mostly conservatives? It tends to be because it, especially in the States, but it's been bleeding over into Canada. People come up with things that are provably false and then they need to try to find a way to assert that they are true. And, you know, nothing would be truer than the 2020 election denial. And I think it's like 70 percent of Republicans believe the 2020 election was rigged. That is false. It has been disproven in the courts. It's been disproven by statisticians. It has been it, it is completely without any worth. I mean, Fox had to spend eight hundred million dollars to buy their way out of that lie. But people still believe in it. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at the Freedom Convoy. We could find reasons to justify part of it. Everyone was drawn to break down the system. They had no faith and they were convinced that everything is Trudeau's fault. So with the Freedom Convoy, there was enough conspiracy theories there, Amy, where now even people are trying to rewrite history and say, well, you know, there was some reasonable points being made here. It was driven to take down Parliament. They wanted to meet Justin Trudeau to then take him out as prime minister. 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, like Churchill said, a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth puts its boots on, right? I think, again, we've seen this where uh, researchers have talked about this time and time again, finding the reasons why people believe in conspiracy theories. And, you know, it might be that, that desire for trying to understand and make sense of, you know, what is considered to be certain or the desire for control and security or, you know, even just trying to maintain a, a positive self-image. And I think when I think about COVID-19, again, as a healthcare provider, I think to myself that, you know, there, even as this, this article was sent to us, how it was titled, you know, from COVID-19 to alien contact, conspiracy theories are popular. COVID-19 is not a conspiracy theory. So I think what, what happened here is there's, there's the difference between a conspiracy theory and, and mistruths and things and misinformation and that, and we're, we're blending these things. And I think this is what causes confusion. Again, I was, seeing these things. I was working in quality improvement in the emergency department and seeing, you know, the the actual deaths and people were still saying, you know, you're making this up. It's not true. And I think this is where, you know, it's so important again, that we have scientific r- rigor. We, we know that the earth is not flat because it has been it has been proven to not be so, and we've had people go to space, and still people don't believe. But I think that again, um, we're, we're always going to have people that believe in misinformation, believe in mistruths, harbor fe- feelings of conspiracy because there have been times where you know governments have been caught with their pants down, and and like John said, uh, you know there has been times where the news has even been caught with their pants down. So I think again, we just have to be, we have to use our um, discretion and discernment when it comes to information. Yeah, and yeah, pull your pants work, up. I have to say. With information. And pull your pants up. Just yes. pull them back up, you know, bring, give them the information. <laughs> no, That's but how you counter you know, would have seen in this coverage that a majority of people believe that we're covering up the solution to cancer. And, you know, I know an oncologist who died of cancer. Do you think that that person died in order to keep the big secret secret? Mm, that's the internet. We'll continue our Smart Speaker series right after this. You're listening to The Rush on News Talk 1010 Toronto. Continuing our Smart Speaker series with Amy Archibald Varley and John Moore. It looks like uh, the Airbnb, the short-term rentals, are making an impact on our housing affordability. Desjardins is the latest group to put out a survey on the impact. So... There is no limit to how many properties someone in this country could own. And when you look at tackling the foreign investors in this country, they're usually investing from countries where they limit how many properties one person could own. So if we weren't going to copy those countries, we should at least look at how many properties someone can own in this country and then list as short-term rentals. So Desjardins' report suggests that, yes, owning these multiple properties, so not your primary residence, but multiple properties, and then listing them not for leases or long-term rentals, but for these short-term rentals, is impacting our rental market. About 1.4% of the country's housing stock is being committed to these short-term rentals. Do you find a problem with it, Amy? Yeah, I do. Um, I actually have a friend who she owns an apartment, uh, sorry, she owns a condo in Toronto and she had purchased this many, many years ago. And she t- she tells me stories of like whole floors that are completely like empty because, you know, people have purchased them from out of country or whatever, and they all use them as Airbnbs, but they just sit there. And I, I do find this quite disturbing because we are in a very difficult situation where, you know, a lot of people can't find affordable housing. They can't find, you know, rent uh, to be affordable. I was talking to my mom even just earlier today and she was like, 
we're talking about getting into the situation where people are literally renting rooms and my mom lives in Windsor. So even out there, there's challenges where people are trying, you know, are having difficulty with affordability. And I think the government really needs to start talking about how they're going to, you know, deal with some of these instances where, you know, we're seeing people from overseas purchasing, they have different rules out there, but we're not, you know, putting any stringent guidelines in place. I think that something needs to be done. And again, um, this is something that is, is of high importance to many Ontarians and Canadians across the across the board. Like, consider this. The report is looking at more than 235,000 unique active short-term rental listings on Airbnb and VRBO. These are the two largest hosting platforms. 235,800 listings. They could all be owned by one person, John. There are no limits. Well, yeah, the, the important thing here is whenever we talk about the raw figures of what we want to build in Ontario and the urgency with which we need to build, and then you see that we have 235,000 units across Canada that would be available tomorrow if we stop doing short-term rental. And in a memo, there are hotels people can stay in. So these are alternatives. And I say that as a person who has stayed at VRBO and uh, Airbnb, but at the same time, I think the important thing, Reshmi, is that real estate is not quite the same thing as buying stock in Bell Canada Enterprises. A piece of real estate is something that somebody could be living in. So I don't think that it's overreach for government to come up with means of trying to compel people to make sure that somebody's actually living in a unit that they own. And, you know, then people will always, when I talk about this on the morning show, people will always say, well, you have no idea how horrible it is to be a landlord. It, there may be a lot of issues in being a landlord, but at the moment, the rental market is such a runaway on fire affair that I can't imagine too many people are having a hard time. Yeah, it it is, though. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not, but it is in that like the the landlord tenancy board is just backed up in that if you think you needed help, it's like, you know, if you called 911 and you had to wait, that would be a concern. Right. So I think anyone who considers renting or listing it in short term, when you look at the complaints in the news coming from people waiting for the um, landlord tenancy board, you might go the other way. What do you think, Amy? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm, I was kind of hedging my bets whether I would mention this, but like I have a family member right now who who's actually recently just been evicted during the winter, which I know is not supposed to happen. But essentially, this person was like, I need this unit um, because I have a family member coming. And, and I was like, you know, these aren't this is not they, like the person can't do this. But again, we, we're having these instances where, um, like you said, Reshmi, we're seeing um that those boards are really backed up. But again, it's just, I'm, I'm very concerned about the people who are trying to, you know, find a place to live again, because again, it actually affects my cousin's ability, his ability to work. And it, um, I just, I don't know, I find this, this conversation that we continue having about like affordable housing really frustrating when we have these available units and there's really no oversight or accountability in relation to these things. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's talk about something a little bit later. I saw this in the news today and I thought, if you saw Keanu Reeves walking around in Toronto, because Keanu Reeves and his band Dogstar, they're playing Lee's Palace this week, it's a sold out show. But if you saw Keanu Reeves on the streets of Toronto, which movie do you think you're in? Keanu Reeves, his career has spanned many decades and uh, lots of different iterations. I would still go back to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures. That's how old I am. John, what kind of Keanu would you see on the streets? 
I have to be honest. You said, what's the first movie I think of? And it was my own private idol. Ah! <laughs> I just, I, 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 I'm a huge admirer of Keanu Reeves. He's an extraordinarily modest guy. And almost on a monthly basis, you'll see a picture of him sitting on the subway in New York or sitting on a park bench in Los Angeles. He just, just seems to be a good and decent guy. And at the same time, as a musician, I always contest the idea that it's some sort of a vanity project whenever a, 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 an actor is a musician. And frankly, there are quite a few actors who are very, very good musicians. And the Bacon Brothers are a great act. <laughs> the Bacon Brothers. Oh, yeah. man, my own private idol. Yeah, Keanu Reeves has some really great performances. I still like getting into that phone booth. Uh, but then there's also, what, Speed, uh, The Matrix. Amy, what comes to mind? Oh my goodness. I, I mean, of course, those movies are the first ones like Speed, The Matrix, of course, any of the John Wick movies. But again, I wouldn't want to meet his character in a John Wick movie, like, unless I'm on the good side there. But again, I, you know, I'm going to go with being super lame because I have kids. Have you seen him in the SpongeBob movie? It was just really cute, a little cute cameo. But again, the SpongeBob movie. No, I missed that. Oh my gosh. He's actually, yeah, he's, he plays a little role in the SpongeBob movie and it's actually, it's actually funny and cute. And that's how my kids know Keanu Reeves now because they're just like, oh yeah, that's Keanu. He's in the SpongeBob movie. But um, yeah, I think I've heard the world of him. And again, if I saw him, I would not interrupt him in his private nope. time. I might sl I slowly sneak a photo, but you know, people are people. He's doing great thing. He's, he's a Canadian hero. So uh kudos to him and i hope he does um he has a successful show i think it's only the he's this is the only canadian show right yeah it's the only it's the only canadian Aww. stop on the whole tour and i'm I'm sure we're gonna spot him but, you know there's smartphones everywhere now i bet he's right. gonna pop up on the ttc where do you think we're gonna see Keanu reeves in toronto oh pretty Definitely well anywhere TTC. i think and yeah. you know isn't it interesting reshmi how there are certain celebrities i mean it doesn't get that much bigger as a career than keanu reeves and he lives this really quiet existence and then you'll have some c-list person from a sitcom nobody wants who's always like oh nobody will leave me alone <laughs> <laughs> it's true they're the ones who just carry walk around with their own entourage don't they well we appreciate you both you should have your own entourage uh john moore and amy archibald varley thank you both for making time for the show. We appreciate you. And John Moore is back in the big chair tomorrow morning. John Moore, host of Moore in the Morning. Amy Archibald Varley, your pregnancy is going well, my friend. Absolutely. Good. Except for the nausea. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for making through the last 30 minutes. Amy Archibald Varley, host of the Gritty Nurse podcast, celebrating the launch of The Wisdom of Nursing as well. A great book put together by the Gritty Nurses. Uh, Amy Archibald Varley and Sarah Fung. It's The Rush. News Talk 1010 Toronto.